This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yeah. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. It's raining. They don't care. <laughs> These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash a check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Hello, 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 and welcome in to the QB11 show presented by Scoop Deck. As always, I am your host, Doug Scott, joined by the namesake of the show, or, or the show is the namesake of him. The show is named I'm, after him, QB11. Yeah, well, everybody, welcome to the Doug Scott Show. It's your co-host, QB11, a.k.a. Andrew, uh, here to deliver you some prime content on a Thursday evening. We're a day late, um, was having some issues last night so uh glad that doug is unbelievably flexible both in the literal and figurative sense uh and was able to accommodate my schedule so yeah you should see my uh the splits i can do (laughs) very flexible (laughs) uh no 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 one wants to i don't even want to attempt such a thing but no i know we're late but we're here and uh we're gonna bring you the preview for washington state oregon's looking to bounce back from their heartbreaking first loss of the season last week get up back on the right side back in austin for the first time in 28 days i know the team will be excited for that i know the fans will be excited to be there for that um, ticket on washington state cougars started off hot this year four and oh have dropped their last two games. Last week, they got absolutely shellacked at home, 44-6 to by Arizona um, in blowout fashion. So uh, we're going to talk about all of that. And then, of course, we've got our picks at the end of the show as well. So let's just dive right into this one, QB. You know, kind of initial thoughts on uh, the Cougars. Again, 4-2 overall in the season. You know, they beat Wisconsin at home. It was a big win. They knocked off Oregon State at home, and Oregon State 6-1 on the year, so that was a big win. But something seems to have shifted in in both the play of the team and the play of Cam Ward and some of the other players on the team over the last couple of weeks. There's a lot of rumors about what that might be. Yeah, I'm not going to speculate, um, but watching... Washington State through the first four weeks of the season versus the last two weeks, it's it's like very night and day. It, it like it's kind of a noticeable effort drop off in a lot of sense. Uh, and then offensively, like I know they've been missing some guys. They've had some guys at receiver get banged up, but Cam Ward has gone from looking like a new and improved Cam Ward to like the same player he was last year um, in a two week span, which is very strange as well. Um, so. I don't I don't have a, a great answer, but they do look like just like with the way that like the body language of the team, the way they're playing, they look like a team that has some like issues. Like and not and not not just like issues in the sense of like they're not very good at football, but issues in the sense that like they they don't look like they're playing very hard. Yeah, I mean, especially last week. Like, I mean, the, the game before that, obviously they they beat Oregon State at home, big emotional win, uh, battle of long beatings there, and then they go on the road to UCLA, and I mean, they led 10-9 at the half. It, it, UCLA's defense has been really strong this year. Um, I thought, I thought Washington. I didn't. I didn't notice the effort issue in that game, uh, but w- where, it, except maybe toward the end of the game, I guess they got down. You know, they kind of got down at the end of the game and then it just kind of got away from them. And, and Cam Ward threw the two interceptions, really didn't have a strong game at all. And then what it really seemed, I was, I was, I was blown away watching the score of the Arizona Washington State game. What it was just like, 
now Arizona scores again, and Arizona scores again, and there's another score for Arizona. And I was just like, well, this game's in Pullman. I was, uh, and then I went back and watched the game later, and and I saw the same well, thing as you. It's like, this is not the same Washington team that beat Oregon State. Defensively, you see a breakdown over the course of the game. Like, I, I don't think that they were playing with poor effort to start the game. I just think that, like, whatever's wrong right now with the offense is carrying over and affecting the defense as the game goes on. Like, they, they can only hold up for so long, right? And, like, it's it's like they're just getting to a place where the, the deficits are becoming so large. And something. Specifically last week against Arizona where the snowball just got away from them. And, like, you could tell that they were just kind of defeated in the second half. Um, because they have they have some really good, experienced veteran players that are very clearly still playing hard on film. Like it's not like everybody one through eleven isn't like isn't trying. Uh, it's it seems like more of a uh, like a team that just like realizes that they're defeated and and starts to play with that kind of energy uh, as the game goes on. Uh, like they they know they can't catch back up. Um, so I, I guess I should probably make that a little bit more clear. Well, let's talk about some of the some of the weapons they have offensively. Obviously, we've talked about Cam Ward. On the season, his stats are still quite good. You know, 70% passing, 2,000 yards, eight, 16 touchdowns, five interceptions. Um, you know, he's been sacked 13 times, which is about in a little over two a game as well. So, you know, but but decent, decent to strong numbers, certainly much better than than he was playing last year. Throwing the ball more down the field. Um it was for especially early in the season. Uh, they don't really run the ball to speak of. Uh, they're a leading rusher on the year as 153 yards. They've only ran for 558 yards in six games. So that's not an area of strength for them. So they're, they're a team that's just going to throw the ball around. Uh, Receiving-wise, they've got Kyle Williams and Josh Kelly as kind of their two primary receivers, and Lincoln Victor is the third one. And all of those guys have high 20s to low 30s in catches. They all have three or more touchdowns and, and between 350 and 450 yards each. So there's kind of a three-headed monster there. And, and they have actually a couple more couple more guys as well that have, you know, over 100 yards on the season. But those three are kind of the primary targets in the passing game. Yeah, where, where the Washington State offense looks the best is outside of the structure of the offense. So when when Cam Ward is breaking the pocket and doing his elusive, like playing his elusive game, creating space and time and letting guys like outside the framework of the offense in the last couple of weeks. Whereas like when you watch him against Oregon state, I thought he was really efficient. I mean, obviously there were some spectacular catches and some really high level plays made by players like Josh Kelly. Uh, but I thought he was actually operating within the framework of the offense at a pretty high level. Um, and right now it just seems that like he's kind of regressed over the last couple of weeks. And now he's, I don't know if it's because he's been under such a heavy amount of pressure um, or I mean, who knows what the, what the cause is, but the effect is is that his um, on time within the system efficiency has not been as good the last two weeks. Yeah, through the first four games, he was averaging like 350 yards, had hit 400 over you know twice, you know three and a half, almost four touchdowns a game. In the last two weeks, he's he's been under 200 yards both games and one touchdown against three interceptions in those two contests, two contests combined. So. Uh, definitely a miss. Something yeah, is definitely and, a miss. And I, I, I think we talked about this earlier in the year when we were previewing some Washington State games. I think the hire of our is it Arbuckle, I believe that's the coordinator's name. Oh, uh, yeah, was a good yeah. hire. Um, and actually, I know Dan brought this up in his Monday press conference, talking about the similarities between this and the Texas Tech offense. Um, and that's very much the case, right? Like this is the same tree that that offense comes from. Uh, there's a lot of air raid principles in it, um, but th- they're going to throw the ball. Um, this is like very much true believer air raid offense, uh, which lends itself to the rushing numbers that you had cited earlier on. Uh, but it, it's it's almost as if, and and I'm I am I'm admittedly I have not studied enough Washington State film um, to realize if there was like an adjustment that was uncovered by UCLA in the second half of that game that was just re- repeated by Arizona um, that was different than what like Wisconsin or Oregon State were doing in the back half of the defense defensively. Uh, but it, it seems like a switch has flipped on this passing game um, and, it's, and it's relative explosiveness. Yeah, and I would think, you know, for, if you're Oregon, you, 
I don't know why you wouldn't play play them in, you know, significantly differently than you played Washington this past week, right? I mean, you, you know, you play your, yeah, your, your, your kind of your base defense, man everyone up, you know, get pressure with four, and I think you're going to have a lot of success. Yeah, so the thing, like, from a personnel standpoint, like Washington is so much better than Washington State offensively. Um, yeah, and and I and I think they're actually more difficult to defend too because I think that DeBoer and Grubb do a much much better job than Arbuckle does of creating problems for your with your leverage and your alignment based on pre snap motion and adjustment uh, and shifting. Whereas, like I from what I've uh, from what I've seen of the Washington State offense, it's a much more static um, presentation. And they don't have as good of players on the offensive line. I mean, like this Washington State offensive line is pretty poor. Um, like this is a group that I feel that Oregon will be able to manhandle really well on Saturday. Uh, and I don't think that they're going to need to bring extra bodies to get pressure, but I think they will bring extra bodies because specifically getting Ward in a position where he can't make the the cookie cutter routine escape, um, just drop step and get out or, or step up in the pocket. Uh, but but making him like square his shoulders to the line of scrimmage and try to make somebody miss as opposed to just getting out um, is going to be what's going to be required to get him on the ground because he's a he's a really he's a difficult guy to corral in space when you have defensive line bodies and athletes um, trying trying to get him on the ground. So I I, I do think that like schematically Oregon is going to dial up pressure. They're going to bring some five and six man pressures. And I think they're going to be really comfortable playing man coverage against this group because this this is a receiver room that, while improved over last year for Washington State, is, again, not even remotely close to the Washington room that you played a week ago. Yeah, and I, I think as we remarked, I, I thought the Oregon uh, corners, for the most part, had really good coverage on Washington's receivers last week, right? I mean, you ne- you, you you almost never saw a Polk or a Dunze or any of those guys like running wide open, right? I mean, the guy was on his hip and, and, and a great, great throw and great catch were made for the most part. So I agree. I, I, I don't know why you wouldn't feel comfortable playing man against this crew. You know, one other note you mentioned about Ward, you know, bringing him down. He, he does have 43 rushing attempts on the year, which is like, I don't know, about eight to nine a game. And that's outside of sacks. It doesn't, you know, it's removing the sacks in there. But the average is only about four. So I don't know. He does have three rushing touchdowns long of 22. So it, it seems like there are either some designed runs or probably more likely a lot of scrambles in that number. But they, they go for yardage, but not Anec- big yardage. Anecdotally watching their film, it's mostly scrambles. Yeah. That would be my guess. Yeah, and, and again, that's when, and I think, oh, I think that's when he's most dangerous as a passer too, um, is when you get him on the edge because again, like it's tough to cover for four, five, six seconds. So, um, that's where I think there's the risk of you getting burned over the top more so. But I, I again, like the, this is a matchup that I think Oregon's defense is more than equipped to handle. I, I think that the different, the biggest difference between this Oregon team and last year is, is the ability to get pressure off the edge. With, with like a base rush with like a three or four man rush um, and I like I this is a game where I think Mateo gets his well I think he already has a sack but his first like real sack yeah I think Washington you know Washington State's offensive line is is nowhere near as good as Washington's in pass pro so I would uh, I I do agree there that Oregon should be able to get it's um, a bad offensive line it's it, there's yeah. nothing about this offensive line that's redeeming yeah, it does seem like an opportunity for Oregon to get some pressure. We've seen them have a lot of success in that throughout the season. So, you know, you look at the Colorado game, you look at some of the other games where Oregon was able to generate a lot of pressure, and this could be one where Stanford is another another example, right? And this is another line that's bad, like those lines, right? So there is no reason to believe that Oregon shouldn't be able to generate consistent pressure throughout this game in, in both base, base rust and, like you said, mixing in the occasional um, blitzes or sims or whatnot. What's your biggest fear, uh, you know, on their offense of, of like either who or how they might find success against Oregon? I mean, I think that for them, it's going to have to be, and it's kind of funny because it's really what they were most effective with last year, but it's going to be the like broken play with Cameron Ward. I, I don't, I don't see them being able to find and sustain success within the framework of the offense, just given the athletes that they have relative to ours. I do think that they have some players on the outside. Josh Kelly to me is the, is the main guy who's most dangerous. Um, but 
I, I do think that they have some some impressive mat- guys that can can cause matchup issues. But I also think that Oregon's just a lot better at corner than most of the teams that Washington State's played this year. Um, so it, 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 I'm struggling to come up with anything, Doug. <laughs> I, I, it's all right. Not, this, it's is, all right. this is not a team, in my opinion, that should score 20 points on Saturday. Yeah, I, I, I would be, I'd be a little concerned, and a little disappointed if if this is a competitive game and you know past the mid third, right, or even mm-hmm. maybe less than that. But um, if Oregon's defense plays the way they have for most of the season, including quite frankly the most of the Washington game, I. It, it feels like Washington State's going to be hard-pressed to to generate a whole lot of offense. Yeah. I, I think, like, the best part of this team is the defense for Washington State, and I think that it's, like, it, it, in a lot of the ways that it was under Alex Grinch, it's like it's a defense that's predicated on speed and athleticism. Um, but, like, they, they've also had some breakdowns on that side of the ball the last couple of weeks late in games. Um they're not a defense with a ton of high-level athletes, but they've got a couple of guys that I think are really good players, specifically on the edge, right? Like the guys that we all know from last year, um, Doan and ja- uh, Jackson, um, specifically number 10 and number 80, are really, really good players. Uh, and then at quarterback, I really like uh, uh, Wade Smith, who who I think is, has some NFL upside. So they, like, they have some high-end players, but it's really the fact how they play schematically um, and how they play as a unit. They, they just, they get hats to the ball. They're really fast. They, they flow quickly. Um, and their interior defensive line is not going to, they're not going to stack up and win trying to play two gap, but they've got some pretty quick body types. You can get on a, get on a shoulder and create penetration that blows, they blows things up. So, um, I think that like when you're, when you're evaluating this Washington state team, the strength is defensively. Yeah. So let's talk about that. I mean, they're a team that, um, you know, they gave up 24 to Colorado State, uh, 22 to Wisconsin, 21 to Northern Colorado, you know, 38-35 victory over Oregon State. Oregon State is a pretty pretty good offense. Um, only gave up 18 to UCLA because one of, one of, of course, Dante threw a pick six in that game, so kept them pretty well in check. But then Arizona just, you know, exploded for 44 on them last week, which was you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier, just a, a huge number. I mean, Oregon State put up 440 yards of offense, pretty balanced, 200 passing, 240 rushing. Arizona last week, 516 yards, 340 through the air, almost 200 on the ground. Wisconsin um, didn't get all lot rushing, um, only 90, but through for 277. So um, did you see, it, you know, are they better against the run, better against the pass? What do you think? Um. I think that they're better against the run. I think it's specifically against a team like Wisconsin, because I know that roster pretty good. Wisconsin is not very athletic on the offensive line right now. They've got big bodies, but like this is a team that's that's predicated on on speed and quickness, um, and so they can create penetration. And because of how fast they are at the second level of the defense, they can they can flow to the ball, and get hats, hats to things like they flow quickly. They're well coached. They they like they key and diagnose fast. Um, I like. I have a, a lot of respect for Jake Dicker as a defensive coach. Like, I think Coach Lanning does too. Just the way he talks about this Washington State team and Coach Dicker, like, I, I would not be surprised at all. Like, if we needed a defensive coordinator at some point, Dicker didn't have a, a job as a head coach. If that's someone that Lanning went after, um, because I think and you see this watching them, it's like they they play with really good eye discipline. Although they did bust a couple coverages last week, which is very uncharacteristic for them. Um. But they um, they stop the efficiency run pretty well. But the problem is because of how fast they flow. Like if a cutback opens up and you have the kind of back back and see it, like there there can be explosive runs to be had against against them. Um, so again, defense is the strength. I don't see I don't see this as a defense that's going to shut down anything Oregon wants to do. But like I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Washington State pull off a, a maybe a havoc play or two more than what is like standard for Oregon to give up just because they have a lot of quickness on the defense. Um, and I think this is probably the best pair of edge players that Oregon will see this year. 
Yeah, I remember you know the those edge players from last year, and they uh, and just overall the thing about that game last year is the speed of Washington State's defense gave Oregon trouble, particularly the first half. And I think I, I you know, also think to a degree that Oregon's offensive game plan kind of played into that into that a little bit early in that game, especially in the red zone area and the, and the short goal line, which we beat to death last year. Um, but I, I, yeah, I kind of agree. Like it feels like if you attack them with your strength against their weakness, you know, Oregon should be in good shape, but it, it felt like last year we were kind of like, let's, let's well, go we, after them in the one way up, that they're best equipped to beat us. And when we opened it up in the second half of that game, they didn't have a chance to stop us. Right. And so, Right. Um, and I, I think I think it's similar this year. Like I think that that one quarter has some talent, uh, but I they like man for man in the secondary is where Washington State, in my opinion, is the weakest. And at the second level, they're not nearly as good as they were last year. Like they had two really good college linebackers, um, and Henley, who was like a second or third round pick a year ago in the draft, um, who was like pretty freaky athletically. And then Maui Noah, who now starts and is an all is having an all ACC caliber season at Miami, um, and, and so those two guys are gone as well. So I think the back seven of this defense can be had. Yeah, I, I think you'd like to see Oregon hopefully attack that a little bit better. I, I think that we're you know not to reiterate last week's game too much, but I think I kind of felt the same way about Washington. Agree as I think they 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 have some. They had some defensive backs who were susceptible, and I don't think Oregon really made them pay uh, in the way that they could have or should have potentially in that game. So you'd like to see them hopefully, uh, you know, do that a little bit more in this one. Yeah, I, I think it's time. Like, whatever the the way the game is being called right now by Coach Stein makes me think that they're concerned with Bo turning the ball over if they give him too many opportunities to go vertical. I think this is a game where you actually test that and just see. Because um, I think there's matchups to be had on the outside if you're the Ducks. Uh, I'd like to see the ball worked in like the in in the medium and deeper quadrants of the field, specifically down between the hashes, um, more in this game than we've seen so far this season. Well, and it's a game too where you can overcome a mistake or two in that regard, right? In theory, right? It's a game where you should have, you know, you're a twenty point favorite, right? So if you do turn the ball over a time or two it's not necessarily the end of the game, right? Like a game like last week would have been. Um, no, and, and so like, it's Arizona an opportunity had a lot to of, take those risks. Yeah, and like Arizona had a lot of success with the RPOs um, and, and screen run options. And I expect that Oregon is going to continue to run that stuff at a high click like we've done all year. Uh, but it's it's also not, a, I, I think that Arizona found success targeting players like Tedero and McMillan on the outside going vertical. Um, and, and not always, I mean, like going vertical doesn't mean that you're running a go or a post every time, uh, but like with digs and over routes, um, in, in those areas between the linebackers and the safeties, I think that that's an area that Oregon is built to be successful against Washington state. Whereas I think if you just try to go hat on hat and run on them, um, because of how quickly the defense is designed to flow downhill, you're going to find that there's going to be a lot more hats than your initial count showed. Uh, when 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 you're making your pre-snap read, makes sense. Um, any other thoughts on that side of the ball? Oregon Oregon Zoe versus Washington State's D. No, I I, I think like again, this is going to be true in every game for the rest of the season, um, until until like a eventual rematch of Washington and then potentially like a playoff for a New Year's Six game. The, the talent advantage on both sides of the ball here is like massive. There, there really isn't like any reason for player for player that Washington State should be competitive. So this is about Oregon coming out, not letting Washington beat them twice, and and just executing cleanly and playing good football. Yeah, no, I think that makes total sense. All right, do you want to move on to our picks for this game after the break? Let's do it. All right, we'll stick quick break. Be right back. All right, QB, we are back and we're going to make our pick on, first of all, the Oregon Washington State game, which we just got done talking about. Uh, Oregon is favored by 20 at home in this one. Justin has picked Oregon. 
I am also going to ride with Oregon. What do you got? Yeah, I, I'm betting on this team to bounce back and not let Washington beat them twice. So I'm going to take the Ducks to cover. I think they're at least twenty, at least three touchdowns better than Washington State. Um, and I think coming home after an emotional loss, it, especially when you consider how that game played out last year in Pullman, um, this isn't a game where I expect we're going to just sleep walk in after an emotional defeat and not be prepared to play. I think that there's going to be there's going to be some some kind of uh, obviously bad blood from last week, but I think that the team will be focused. Yeah, I think if you look at an Oregon past Oregon teams from a few years ago or different eras, you look at this one and see like, oh, twenty points coming off that game. It's a letdown game. There, you know, there's going to be a hangover effect, and and I don't like Oregon to cover, but. I feel like with this team this year, I, that's not going to be. I think this is going to be one of those get right games where they just come out and, and they get right um, and put the hammer down. So I'm going with Oregon as well. Yeah, there's still a lot to play for, right? Like they still control their own destiny as far as the season con- is concerned. Um, the only re- only way that they don't is if they come out here and lay an egg. And, and I, I don't think that the staff and with the with the leadership on this team is poised to do that on Saturday. Yeah, I'd be. I mean, if it was a road game, you know, you'd have a different a different chance of something like that happening. But in, not coming not coming back home after that game, I don't see that either. All right, let's move on. Uh, obviously, the big game of the week in the Pac-12 was lost a little bit of its luster for it's Utah at USC. USC is a seven point home favorite here. I mean, obviously, USC kind of hasn't looked like a playoff caliber team. They've been dropping in the polls for weeks and weeks on end, squeaking out wins over close wins over mediocre to bad teams. And then finally losing and, and like getting blown off the field at Notre Dame last week. So they've lost a little bit of the sheen. Utah obviously been playing without, without Cameron rising, without uh, Brent Keithy and, and, and several other players as well have, have been missing for Utah. So they're, they're performing admirably, especially on defense, but coming to this game, um, you know, not quite the the powerhouse that they've been the last few years. So, uh, who do you like in this one? Yeah, I'm taking USC. Uh, I I don't think Caleb Williams is going to have a stinker two weeks in a row. They're back yeah. at home. I think that like USC is going to have a bad taste in their mouth about the performance in South Bend and look to get right. And I I don't know that, especially now with Thomas Yasmin out for the year at the tight end. Um, along with Keithy, I don't, I don't expect Rising to play on Saturday. Well, I, I don't know if those guys are going to play this year, Doug. Um, and with that all said, like USC is going to want to score some points on these guys after the way that those two games went last year, specifically the one in the Pac-12 title game. I, I think that USC, like I'm considering putting some money on the alt line uh, and taking USC like minus ten or ten and a half. I think USC might put it on Utah on Saturday. Yeah, I'm also picking USC to cover the seven in this one uh, for a lot of the same reasons you said. I, I mean, Utah's defense is really good, but um, the strength of their defense is really in that front. And I do think they'll they'll get pressure, but Caleb Williams just, you know, he, he always finds a way, like you said, to work better out of structure than in. And I think Utah's back half is not as good. I think there's going to be, you know, some some openings for Caleb to put up a lot of points in this one, and and quite frankly, Utah just doesn't have anything going offensively, even against you, uh, you know, USC's just absolutely atrocious defense. I think they're, Utah's just too limited at, at the playmaker positions. I think they're going to have a really really hard time trying to keep up with USC, and so I don't see them, I don't see them doing that. However, Justin disagrees; he's picking Utah. Yeah, if this game was in Salt Lake, I would definitely not be con- even considering taking USC, but. Um, it's in the Coliseum. It's going to be a friendly home environment. Uh, and again, yeah. I, I'm just never going to bet on Caleb Williams to play horrible two weeks in a row. It's one of those weird, like bad on bad and good on good games, right? So, so USC has a great offense. Utah has a great defense. Uh, USC has a bad defense. Utah has a bad offense. So it's bad on bad and good on good. And those games are always kind of interesting to watch. Yeah. I just I, I wonder if USC is going to be able to keep Caleb Williams upright in this game. Like that's the one thing that can keep this game like close and ugly. Um, I don't anticipate Utah to score a ton, but it's a, it's a USC defense that is certainly capable of giving up an explosive player or two in a game. So yeah, I don't know. I I see this game being like 
35 to 20 or 23 or something like that in favor of USC. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, let's move on. Uh, Washington is staying at home. 26 and a half point favorite hosting Arizona State who beat Washington last year down in the desert. Uh, I think that was actually the last team to beat Washington. They're on like a 13 game winning streak right now. So um, 26 and a half. Uh, I don't care. Washington is good and Arizona State is absolutely terrible. Justin and I are both going with Washington to cover the 26 and a half. Yeah. I, 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 a part of me wants to take Arizona State because of how many points it is and the fact that this is like kind of a letdown spot for Washington after a big win last week. Uh, but it's a home game against an Arizona State team that really just doesn't match up well. So I'm going to take, I'm going to take the Huskies minus the 26 and a half. Yeah, I, I think too, especially that that Arizona State beat Washington last year is another factor there, uh, along with everything else you said too. Yeah, that that like keeps it from being a game that's super easy to overlook. Right. All right, one more Pac-12 game this week as we have several teams on a bye. Uh, UCLA travels to Stanford, um, fresh off their amazing comeback victory over Colorado. Stanford is a home underdog getting 17 points uh, from the Bruins in this one. Who do you like? UCLA. Dante Moore can throw two pick sixes in this game. They'll still cover um, because U Stanford's not scoring on UCLA. Like, I, I I don't think Stanford's scoring more than 10 offensive points in this game. Which means UCLA would need 28 to cover. Yeah, and I think that's, like, doable against the Stanford team. Like, I'm proud of Stanford. I'm glad that they did be well last week and they covered and beat, and beat Colorado. But um, the step up in class is pretty pretty magnificent here for them against the UCLA team that's got like a really really good front defensively, not on yeah. offense, but Stanford's front defensively is bad. So it's like, what happens when a movable object meets a stoppable force? Yeah, I think the the this is an interesting one to me because UCLA obviously has has lost lost their second game. Last week, they're both Pac-12 losses. They can't, they absolutely cannot lose another game and, and make the, they might not even be able to make the Pac-12 title game anyway, but certainly not if they lose another one. The interesting thing here is like, where is Dante Moore's head at? Where is his confidence level at? I think he's thrown six interceptions in the last two games. He has had several pick sixes on the year. Um, that's the one thing that worries me about this one. Um you know, not not Stanford winning, but but keeping it close. And I think Stanford's got a lot of confidence right now coming off of that game last week. They're back at home. I've got Stanford barely covering uh, the 17. I, I certainly don't think they're going to win. I think UCLA is going to win, but I, I maybe by 15, 14, something like that. So uh, Justin agrees with me. He's also going with Stanford here. Fair enough. All right, let's move on. We've got seven national games to cover this week. Let's start down in the game of the week. Uh, game day, everyone's going to be there. Penn State, Ohio State, um, you know, first of three huge battles in the Big Ten East. Um, Penn State is on the road. Ohio State is a four-and-a-half-point home favorite in this one. Justin's rolling with the Nittany Lions I'm rolling with Ohio State to cover. I, I, I can't wait to watch this game. There's a lot to uh, – I think both of these defenses are really good. Uh, Ohio State's offense obviously hasn't gotten on track to this year in the way they have in the past. Penn State, um, you know, offense is efficient. I wouldn't call it, like, explosive necessarily. It's an interesting game. I, I can't wait to watch it. Who do you like? Uh, I like Penn State. Um I don't trust the Ohio State quarterback situation at all. I don't think this is going to be a particularly high-scoring game either. I think these are two really, really good defenses. Uh, and so, to me, like anything over three is too many points. Um, I, I know that like it's going to be a crazy environment in Columbus, but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the Nitty Lions to cover, and I, I kind of think they're going to win this game. Well, it's a game. A lot of the talks on a lot of the podcasts this week around the national podcast has been, you know, who needs this win more, you know, Ryan Day or, or, um, James Franklin. Thank you. <laughs> Just brain, uh, brain fart there. Who, who needs this win more? And, you know, I, 
And you can make arguments for both. I mean, I think James Franklin's record against Ohio State is one and eight. His record against top 10 teams is like two and 25. It's like Penn State has been consistently really, really good for his tenure at, at while well, Franklin's been there, but they have not been able to kind of like get over the hump into that next year. And, you know, like you said, I think this is a year where a lot of, a lot of people are hoping and thinking they could do that. I don't think it's going to happen uh, Saturday, but you do. So that's fine. I don't, I don't think they have the quarter. I, I don't think that Penn state's had the quarterbacks relative to Ohio state. This is the first year where I think, I think Penn state has the better quarterback um, than, than what Ohio state's putting out there with Drew Aller. I think he's going to be, he's an immense talent. Um, but the problem is like receiver and offensive line, haven't been very good for the Nittany Lions, but defensively, like there's freaks at all three levels for for Penn State, um, and then there's a lot of really good players for Ohio State defensively too. But I, if if I'm taking like my favorite combination of defense quarterback, I'm going to go Penn State on this one. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you like the under or the over? Uh, it's well, I saw it earlier forty five and a half. I'd take the under. And this to yeah. me is a game that's like twenty three twenty, whichever way it goes. Yeah. All right. I like it. All right. Let's move on. We've got Tennessee traveling to Alabama, uh, continuing that rivalry, which will continue to roll forward at least a few more years. Uh, Alabama is a nine and a half point home favorite. What say you? Oh, give me the tide. They're going to be on that ass after what happened last year in, in Knoxville, like with like the, the goalposts floating down the river and everyone smoking cigars on the field after the game. <laughs> And like this, this game is going to be a blood game. This is one of those ones where you just know that Saban's going to have his team like spun up all as tight as possible. Um, and I don't think Joe Milton is anywhere near equipped to deal with that. Not in, not in Tuscaloosa in front of what is going to be an absolutely ravenous crowd in Bright and Denny. Um, Jalen Milrow is not a great quarterback, but he'll make enough plays. This Alabama pass rush is a problem. Uh, Dallas Turner has been just insane all year um and he's not he's one of many um in that defensive front that can get after the quarterback so i'm gonna go ahead and take the tide um to in the nine and a half points i think this game gets ugly yeah justin agrees with you he's got bama um covering the nine and a half my concern here is i mean i think both of these defenses are pretty good uh tennessee's defense i think is is pretty underrated and I just don't like Alabama hasn't exactly been uh, racking up a lot of points <laughs> this season on offense. So I'm looking at this as kind of being a low scoring game as well, played in the 20s. And when you're talking about a game in the 20s, nine and a half is a lot. Um, so I like Alabama to win. I don't like them to cover. So I'm going to roll with uh, with Tennessee. Fair enough. Probably regret it. I hate picking against you. But your record is only 51%, so I shouldn't hate it that much. What's yours? Oh, that's 46. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, Duke, Florida State. Uh, this one is a 13.5 point spread in favor of the Seminoles. Uh, Duke obviously has uh, been pretty good this year, but Florida State has also been pretty good this year. And uh, Justin has Florida State in this one. I'm rolling with Duke, uh, not to win again, but I think th they keep it close enough, keep it inside two touchdowns, and cover the 13-and-a-half. I'm assuming that this, this spread means Riley Leonard's still not back, so I'm going to take Florida State minus the 13-and-a-half. Okay, fair enough. All right, let's move on. Clemson, Miami. Uh, this is a critical game for both of these teams. They're both 4-and-2. Uh, they both have two losses in conference. Uh, I mean, the loser of this game is, well, if Miami loses, they've lost three in a row and are just reeling off of the, the Neil, the no, the no, not Neil game. Uh, and that, you know, what, where does that send their season into what kind of spiral Clemson on the other hand has, I mean, if they lose they, four and three would be their worst, probably seven game record in, I don't know, 10 years or something under Dabo. So their fans are already getting a little frustrated and restless. Um, and you know, coming Going dropping three games is going to make them hard pressed to to get back into the conference title game at the end of the season, which is a top two affair as well. So Clemson is a three point road favorite. Not that that means a whole lot when you're playing in Hard Rock Stadium, which doesn't really have a home field advantage. So 
What do you got? Uh, give me Clemson. I it's 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 strength on strength in a lot of ways, but I I love this Clemson front seven, um, and I think they're going to be able to create pressure. I think they're going to be able to stop the run uh, and really make it hard on Tyler Van Dyke. And I, I just think that I trust the offensive staff at Clemson now under uh, under Riley's tutelage to uh, like and like a lot of people. The only time that they've watched Clemson this year was the Duke game, and like Clemson very obviously uh, and Kid Club they kind of improved offensively since then. This is not a tough road environment to play in. I think that Clemson will be more than comfortable playing in this game uh, down in Hard Rock Stadium, and I, I think they went out right. And, probably by about a touchdown yeah i'm with you i have clemson winning this game outright when obviously a three-point favorite so they gotta they gotta win by at least a field goal but i i i just think they're a better team i i like i trust it's a trust thing i trust them they've been in situations before they've had their backs against the wall many times um like i said i like the defensive line i like what they can do i think Miami's kind of at a crossroads right now with with what's happened to them the last two weeks, and I kind of see that kind of continuing a little bit. So I, I have Clemson winning. Uh, Justin's rolling with Miami. I don't know if he thinks they're going to win or just keep it inside three, but that's what he picked. Hey, that's good. Let's We're going to catch up by a game with my, with uh, Justin. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, let's move on to the Big Twelve uh, rematch of last year's Big Twelve title game. Both these teams are probably not going to make it back to the the title game this year, but TCU on the road at Kansas State, who is a six and a half point home favorite in this one. Um, I have uh, Justin has Kansas State. I also have Kansas State. I just TCU is just not a very good football team this year. Kansas State's been up and down, but I I think they're I trust them a little bit better on both sides of the ball than TCU, and I think they're going to win by at least a touchdown at home. So I got them. Yeah, give give me Kansas State. I think they're finding something with the true freshman quarterback, which will be a uh, uh, a name that Oregon fans recognize, Avery Johnson. I think he's been playing well. He's been explosive, um, and so I'm I'm going to roll with the Wildcats at home. All right, um, and one leg of the I think it's called the President's Cup, the where the Air Force, the, the where the Armed Services Academies all play each other. I don't know what it's called. I thought it was the President's Cup, but anyway, Air Force at Navy. Air Force is a eleven point road favorite at the Midshipmen. Uh, Air Force, as you know, has been rolling all year. They're probably the favorite to win the Mountain West Conference. I'm rooting for them all the way. I want to see them in in the uh, New York Six game, in the Fiesta Bowl or the Cotton Bowl, or whichever one they get in. I really, really want to see the Falcons there. So I'm, I'm rooting for them. I'm also picking them to cover the 11, no problem, on the road at Navy. Same. Uh, I, I, Air Force is the only one of these academies that runs like a modernized version of the triple. Uh, and I, I just, I think Air Force just does it better than everybody else. So um, give me Air Force minus the 11. Did you intentionally skip the ugliest game of the season? Oh, no, I'm coming. I saved that for last for that's what oh, okay. I was doing. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited no, and, to prime uh, us yeah, for this, this one. This one had to be, I, I circled, this was the first game I picked for, for our list this week ahead of Penn State Ohio State ahead of Tennessee Alabama ahead of Clemson Miami this next game had to be on our list for this week and it is the Minnesota Golden Gophers on the road playing the Iowa Hawkeyes they played for some trophy it's a pig or something for for Ferdinand Ferndale I don't know it's Pate talks about it all the time yeah um, uh, I, I don't know what the trophy's called I don't know that I really care I would bet under 20 points in this game. I think the over-under is actually like 30-something. Or like 30 yeah, or no, 31 I mean, or something like that. I don't I don't think, like, what, like you're starting to get to a point where, like, Vegas really can't set the over-under any lower. But I, I still, like, I, these offenses stink. I'm thinking yeah. Iowa minus the three and a half, though. They're just a way better team than Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, both of these offenses are absolutely terrible. I mean, Iowa has, like, an offense that's pretty much in the 120s to 130s on every statistical measure, um, other than field position. They do well in field think, position. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think that <laughs> Iowa's defense will be so dominant in this game, 
that Iowa will win the position field battle enough to get two field goals. And that might be yeah, enough to Yeah, the game will just be played on one half of the field. Um, yeah, and, and, with, and with that said, like that's enough for Iowa to cover. Yeah, because Minnesota's offense is not really any better than Iowa's. Like it is atrocious as well. 102nd, 102nd, 92nd in rushing, 72nd in pass. I mean, they're just terrible. They're terrible. But the difference is Minnesota is also terrible on defense. And um and 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 Iowa isn't. Iowa is very good on defense. Yeah. So I have this yeah. one going like like the Iowa won that game last week what was it 15 to 6? Something like that. Yeah, over Iowa Wisconsin. Play a much better Wisconsin offense than what Minnesota puts on the field in an absolute box on the road. This game is going to be in Kinnick. I believe this is a night game. Give me the Hawkeyes. It's going to be like nine nothing or something. Is it like twelve nothing or something? Some some crazy. Yeah, I like like twelve three <laughs> where kickers score all the points. Yeah, and the spread is uh, three and a half in favor of Iowa, which I I will actually take them to cover because um, I think I don't know how Minnesota scores. Outside of some it's fluke play be, or something. There's absolutely no way that Brian Ferentz is keeping his job. The the 25 points per game is like he's so far off that mark at this point. Um, yeah. It's just not going to happen. Probably further behind. It yeah, is actually that, a 1230 kickoff. It's not a night game. So, Okay. I was wrong. Either way, Kinnick will be The over-under is 31. Give me the under all day. Like hammer the under. Like all your units on the under in this one. Um but yeah, it's Iowa's going to roll. And Justin picked Minnesota, so there's another opportunity to get one back on him. I love this. Justin's like running. Well, either that or he knows something we don't know. Could be yeah, possible. Which, considering the overall seasons standing so far, maybe that's just true. I'm just convinced he's just like flipping a coin and getting really lucky so far. Wait, what's his what's his win rate? Fifty six percent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's quite good. I don't know, man. I don't know. Let's take a quick break and we'll take some listener questions after this. All right, QB, we are back. The Ducks will be in Autzen. I think you're going to be there again, right? Yep. Yeah. I'll look forward to seeing you again before the game. And uh, the Ducks are back in Autzen for the first time in a month, taking on Washington State. We've talked about all that. We've made our picks for the week. And we've got a few listener questions to wrap up the show tonight. You ready? Yep. Let's get into them. All right. I like this one. Uh, Count Quackula on Scoop Deck. Love that name, Count Quackula. That's a great one. Which player or players? It's spooky season. So, like, it's like more applicable than ever i think that's his name all year round but it is very applicable right now you are correct all right count asks which player or players do you expect to have a significantly increased role in the second half of the season how about justin jacobs that'd be nice yeah so i think immediately i go to justin jacobs on defense um i think his health obviously being a priority Offensively, in the same note, I think Strother will play more. Nashad um, Strother, the guard transfer from ECU. Uh, but I also, I, I don't know, I get this feeling um, that we're going to see Jury on Dickey start to factor into the offense some. That'll be, and this would be a week where you would maybe expect that to come out, right? You're not going to break it out in Rice Eccles next weekend. You know, so it's either going to be this week or you're going to wait till Cal in two weeks. I think that's it's one or the other of those two. Um, but I, I like your picks. Um, I think another one could be Poncho. Um, he's been he's been rotating in. But he's already quietly. Been playing, I, like, I know he's been he's playing, but I mean, could he, the snaps. could he take over the starting role? Could he be, get a bigger piece of that? I don't know. Something yeah, maybe. To watch. Like offensively, like I think it has to be either if it's a skill player, it's someone like Sadiq or or Dickey. Um, if it's a lineman, I think it has to be Strether or, or Poncho. Um, but yeah. regardless, I, I think that like Poncho's role has been expanding. He's basically playing 50% of the snaps at right guard as it is. Um, depending on what Strether does uh, or doesn't do, I, I see that that rep share will probably, probably continue to grow for Poncho. 
Yeah, I mean, defensively, it's, I mean, I think Jacobs is really the only obvious choice. I mean, obviously, if there's injuries, then somebody's going to have to play an increased role, but that I don't think that's really the intent of the question, and that's a whole different, you know, different ball of wax. Yeah, depending on what it is with Florence, maybe you see Dalen Austin start to get more reps in the primary rotation, but I still think that's like less likely. Yeah, it sounds like Florence practiced all week, so maybe he's... Uh, yeah. Maybe the injury was didn't was not as uh, severe as it might have looked uh, to begin with. What'd All right, Gain Green asks: Styles make fights. Who is the toughest remaining opponent from a schematic standpoint remaining on the schedule? Schematic uh, USC, and it's not necessarily because of the schematics, because who they have the quarterback. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I I guess I you can I I think. Yeah, offensively, and their quarterback is is the toughest remaining opponent. I mean, you can make an argument for Utah's defense at home in Rice Eccles against Oregon's offense in, in a week from now. Um, you know, Oregon State has a balanced offensive attack, but I don't think they do anything schematically exotic or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I think I think I think USC's really like I said more about Caleb, and I think Utah maybe maybe defensively schematically is something you could look at. But those well, would be my, my choices. Riley, Lincoln Riley is the best offensive coach remaining on the schedule. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Okay, Minneapolis Dusk Duck asks, "Who do we want to win in the USC versus Utah matchup? If Utah wins, Cam Rising might come back versus the Ducks, but if USC loses, Caleb Williams might shut it down." Um, yeah, Riley's a USC win. Just because I want them as ranked as highly as possible before they come to Eugene. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I I think, I'm not sure Cam Rising's going to come back at all. Um, uh, interestingly, he can, he and Keithy both are eligible for medical hardships or otherwise known as medical red shirts. But if they play this week against USC, they are not eligible for those. So, and of course, they can't play any any games the rest of the season after that. So, I think there's been some chatter that that might be the route that one or both of them take, um, and just sitting shutting it down for the year and, and applying, and maybe coming back to play again next year. Um, I, I, I kind of with you. I'd rather have USC win, just because I think. Um, I, I want to play good teams. I want to play highly ranked teams. I want a matchup like, like I, I was in that stadium last weekend, and yeah, it sucks that we lost, but that's a football game that you want to well, be at. You want to be at a ga- at a game like that with that kind of atmosphere, and that's what I want when USC comes to town. I want to be at a game where the national eyes are in Austin, on Oregon, on USC, and and the stakes are high, and everybody's you know playing their A game. That's what football's about. I don't want to take like. You know, I don't want to like, oh, well, maybe you, maybe Caleb won't play and USC will be down and we'll get an easy win. Like what that's, you know, let's get 12 games a year. I want 12 great games. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Um, next question. It's official says who gets let go first, Justin Wilcox or Chip Kelly? Uh, Justin Wilcox. Do you care to expand on your answer as to why? I, I just think that Cal's a really, really bad football team, and I think that UCLA is still going to win like eight or nine games. Counter Counterpoint for me. I think it's going to be Chip Kelly because I don't think Cal cares enough to fire Wilcox and eat their buyout. I don't think the UCLA cares enough either. <laughs> like UCLA I, I guess I would say UCLA is going to the Big Ten. Problems. They're getting a bigger paycheck. They're They're probably... I don't know. I mean, it's a it's a Sophie's choice, right? But um, I don't really care. But if I was, I'm just trying to play uh, play devil's advocate here. But I, I mean, Justin Wilcox keeps getting extension after extension, and he's losing every year. So I think they'll just probably give him another extension. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is by far the best offensive coordinator hire he's made. But they just the talent at quarterback is so poor that doesn't really give him a chance. They haven't recruited offensive line well at all. Um, defensively, I mean, I don't know if they've recruited anything all that well, for being like brutally honest. I, I just think it that Chip like- is Chip is so much better than Justin Wilcox at the transfer portal. 
And UCLA is such a better brand that I think that he'll be able to find more success, both short-term and long-term, um, and keep his job longer. Yeah, well, especially it'd be silly to fire him with with Dante and Dante Moore's first year after Dante Moore's first year as well. But um, I just, yeah, I just think Justin Wilcox, I mean, I don't know if he's, yeah, well, we'll just leave that there. Okay, next question. UO Ducks. Not to look too far ahead, but if Washington and Oregon end up having a rematch in Las Vegas for the Pac-12 title game, what schematic adjustments would you like to see on offense and or defense? Offense, uh, don't cut the field in half unnecessarily, specifically in shorter yard situations. Um, if wa- if Washington wants to go to a bare front and try to put bodies in every gap, then you have to test them over the middle, specifically deep. Um, and then defensively, I don't think I would change a damn thing. Maybe look the hair. I agree, with, I agree with you on defense. I, I think our defense played a really, really good game. And uh, if the offense converts that last um, that last first down, we would have the the defense would have held Penix to 260 yards. The offense, the the Washington offense, completely to 360 yards, which is 200 below their their season average. I think the defense, especially the second half, um, you know, played. Uh, played really well and, and well enough to win that game. So I wouldn't change a whole lot there. I thought they really made life hard for Penix and the receivers and stuff as, as well. And and we already talked about that, but offensively, I agree with you. I, I'd probably play a little less, a little less heavy personnel and more, um, more three wide, more 11. I'd like to see more 11 and, and stretch, you know, not necessarily, like I said, not a go route necessarily, but, but challenge their defensive backs, their defensive backs outside of Muhammad, are a weakness. They have been a weakness for two years, and I don't think Oregon did enough to attack that weakness. I'd like to see us attack that weakness a little more in a rematch. Yep. Couldn't agree more. All right. Biff Malibu. Biff Malibu. Biff Malibu asks, is it me or does the passing offense seem unimaginative? Everything seems to be down the sideline or the quick pass. I get the narrative of take what's given, but what about a crossing route or some slants? Maybe a tight up the seat tight end up the seam like they used to do with Ed Dixon. Um, I want your take first. <laughs> I mean, it kind of dovetails into the last question that we were just asked specifically about the Washington game, but uh, I wouldn't call it unimaginative. I think there's a lot of them, a lot of creativity and a lot of variety yeah. in the offense. I mean, they do a little bit of everything. So I, I wouldn't think it's there. I'd say it's more conservative um, in the I'm, passing I'm game particularly. This, I'm not saying this to be a dick, um, but like unimaginative to me, to me screams that like it's not producing the explosive plays you want to see. Like it doesn't, because when I watch their fil- our film and like the things that we're doing to create angles and leverage in the run game and in the RPO game um, and the SRO game with the screen run options, like it's beautiful what we're doing. Like Stein is really scheming things up and making it easy. And when we do run our shot plays, we're getting guys wide, like wide ass open. Um, and so I, I, I don't think this offense lacks imagination. I think at times this offense has been conservative. I don't know, but I don't know if that's Stein. I don't know if that's Nick's and what he's comfortable with. I don't know if that's Nick's checking the certain things in certain situations. I, I just don't, I don't see us challenging people downfield as often and as frequently as I would like to see us do it, considering how good some of the players that we have on the outside are. But at the same time, our spacing at receiver needs to improve drastically. Um, we still have guys running routes too close to each other and like impeding on each other. It's there's, there's room to improve in this passing game still specifically downfield. Yeah. It feels like, I mean, this offense clicks when it's ahead of the chains, right? So it almost feels like we're afraid to take a shot or a lower percentage, you know, midfield pass because if we don't connect now we're at the first and 10 or second or now we're second and 10 or third and eight or something. And that puts us behind the chains and makes converting, you know, on third or fourth much more difficult because for the same reason, you know, we're, we're not seeing that. I mean, like last week we had a, we had a third and, you know, third and 13 in the third quarter and we threw a three yard pass, right? Like we didn't even like, you will look on the other side of the ball. There's no scenario, and I'm not saying we have the same offense as Washington, nor nor should we. 
Um, but there's no scenario where Penix throws a three yard pass on third and 13. Like they just, like this wouldn't do that. Um, no. and, 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 and you're throwing a third and 13, uh, four yard pass to a tight end who's running horizontally, uh, across the line of scrimmage. Like that play has zero chance. I mean, that's, you're just conceding the punt at that point. You know, you're not even giving yourself a chance to, to convert the first down. And I think that the offense seems for whatever reason that you just touched on seems afraid to get into third and long. So that makes them more conservative on first and second so that they create third and short situations that they they are one of the best, if not the best team in the country at converting those into first downs. So I understand the philosophy, but I also understand why at times that looks is frustrating or too conservative. Yeah, and I, I'm definitely not talking trash. I just, I think that, uh, like, I know, like, when I watched uh, JT or Sullivan, who does the QB school stuff, break down the Oregon film against Colorado, like, he was raving about the play calling and, like, the way that um, concepts were being layered um, and the variety of ways that we were attacking the Colorado defense, both on the ground and through the air, uh, and the things that we were doing to keep them off balance with our run game, with our run pass option stuff. Um, and putting players in conflict at the second level. So I think this is a really well-designed offense. I think it's, I think the plans are very cohesive. I I think where we're, where we've fallen short at points in the season, and it hasn't been universal. Um, again, it's just attacking the deeper parts of the field in the passing game. Yeah. All right. Uh, similar question from Matthew one one nine six. I wonder what happened to Matthew one one nine five and one one nine four. And all the preceding Matthews. I'm, I'm curious. Well, I anyway, was Matthew, Matthew 1196 was born in 1996. Oh, like January 1st, 1996, or just November of 1996? I don't know. Could yeah. be code. Maybe it's his locker code. Maybe 1196 is the code to his locker or something. No idea. I don't know. Well, anyway, he wants to know do you believe Will Stein will learn as the season goes on and make better choices in crunch time? We all kind of acknowledge he's young, inexperienced as an OC at this level. Yeah. First of all, again, do you believe it, with the premise of the question? Not necessarily. Again, am I a huge fan of everything we did in that game? No. Um, but I'm also not a huge fan of letting a Jag beat your right guard on third and two. Uh, I'm also not a huge fan of both throwing a a ground ball to Holden on third down in the red zone at the end of the first half. Um, like, I, I don't think that it's really easy to look at the fourth down plays in isolation and blame Will Stein. But I think we were in great, we were putting good decisions on good, good positions on third down and just didn't execute in, in on most of those drives. Uh, and so, again, there's always yeah, room that, for growth. Yeah. I, I'm not yeah. qualified to say that Will Stein needs to be better. Uh, although, like, philosophically i disagree with some of the decisions but i do think he'll grow and learn and like like all young coaches he's going to get better well i think i you know i think for a long time as a fan i used to get really upset about play calls oh that was a terrible call that was a terrible right like and then you start you step back a little bit and you think like okay you know oregon had 80 80 plays in this game and far more of them worked than didn't um, yeah. and so like, you have to also acknowledge, like, it's very easy to like criticize the, the five that, you know, were critical plays throughout the game that you felt didn't work. But what about the five critical ones that did, what about the, the play call that gave Troy a wide open, you know, 50 yard touchdown? Like, was that a good call? Looked like a good call to me. Like, you know, what about the, the call on, you know, second and 10, you know, they're the right before the, you know, the last, you know, third and fourth down that we've been talking about so much that failed, right? Like second and 10, they called a handoff to Bucky and he got eight yards. Was that a good call? Cause it was very successful. Um, you know, so I try to take a step back and say, what is the overall, like, what is the overall philosophy of the offense? How is it constructed? What's the game plan for any specific game, right? Like, you know, I, and I, I've been critical at times. Like last year, I was very critical of the red zone game plan against Washington State because I thought we were attacking Washington State in all wrong ways in that game. But I wasn't critical of specific calls. I was specific of, I don't like this game plan. And they changed it in the second half. I think that's where I, I've matured as a fan is trying to look at the bigger picture and see like, 
there are individual plays that are going to, you're going to like take issue with. But I think if you look at the bigger picture, you have to say like, okay, is the overall philosophy sound? Is the overall layering of plays and, you know, having counters to your counters to your counters, is all of that successful? Are you, you know, the, do you understand how to call a game in the flow of a game successfully? And look, I'm sure Will Stein will be the first one to sit down and say, here are things I want to do better, you know, the next time I'm in these situations or the next time we're in a tight game or in the next game or, or right. Like that's what every good coach does and he's no different, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have all the information necessary to, to be too judgmental of it. I don't think it's like, Oh, he's young. He needs to get better. I think you'd say the same thing if he was 50 or 60 or 70, right? Like every coach has plays they want back. And also the outcome of the play doesn't mean that the play call is bad against the look that was given. Like that's yes. the one thing that I think like is universally like immediately like that's the knee jerk reaction of the football fan is the play didn't work in that situation. So because it didn't work, it's a bad call. Whereas that's, that's really not always the case. Like for example, like I, I think of the fourth down at the end of the third quarter where Bo went to Franklin, like, yeah, that formation is designed to give Franklin a one-on-one Franklin didn't win the route. And there was there, but the quads did produce an open player. And so is that a bad play call or is that just like the quarterback or the receiver not winning the route, the quarterback going to him anyway, instead of playing, playing the field. Right. right? Like, I, and I, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Again, I, I think a lot gets, a lot gets boiled down into one or two calls and usually the outcome of the call, not the call itself relative to the look is what's getting criticized. And I just don't think that's a productive way to evaluate coaches. Yeah, I mean, you have to look at, look, you you might put the best play call out there, but at the end of the day, you need 11 guys to execute their job. And and sometimes it only yeah. takes one to fail. Like, conversely, that third and two at the end of the game, right? Like, you know, one guy misses the assignment, the play blows up, right? Uh, you know, Troy that, on that route slips, right? Like, sometimes it's bad luck if you slip on the turf. Sometimes it's a missed assignment on a player. It's bad execution. It's a quarterback making the wrong read. It's like there's a there's a bunch of these reasons. But also sometimes, sometimes the other team calls a good play against you or the other player makes a great play against you. It, and it doesn't mean it was a bad call. It just means you got out executed that play. Yeah, and my, my closing thought on this, and apparently the podcast too, because my headphones are beefing on me, they're about to die, uh, is <laughs> that like the other coaches are also paid millions of dollars. The other players are getting NIL deals, uh, and they're on scholarship too. And so sometimes like you call what is a good play, but the other coach can anticipate it and calls the right defense. That 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 happens in football, right? Like this it's chess. And so it's a sometimes you match. make them sometimes, sometimes they anticipate the move you're going to make. Uh, and that happens to really good coaches. It also happens to really bad coaches. But um, again, like it's just tough when we have such limited information to evaluate them on when, when so much of the, so much of the data that we have on Stein is that he's a really good play caller. All right, QB. I think you said it. That is a great place to end this episode. Ducks back in Autzen on Saturday, 1230 kick. I will be there. You will be there. 55 plus thousand other people will be there. And uh, well, it's a great one. We'll give you the uh, Jello Shot rundown on the next episode. We'll be back on Monday morning with our review of this game and all of the other ones. Uh, I'm Doug Scott at Douglas TS on Twitter. You can find Andrew here at QB11SD on Twitter. Follow our show at QB11Show on twitter also please follow us on spotify apple or wherever you listen to podcasts we thank you for your support and we will see you on monday